Well, good morning, everyone. How many of you were not here last night? Wait, where are you? Huh? What'd you say? Wait, graduation? You didn't go to graduation. You're just graduating? Eighth grade. See, Rob's real, real different. He's just very big for an eighth grader. If you were not here last night, for those of you who are not, who is this man and why is he here? We'd much rather the more handsome Frank Loria. Uh, good night. His mirror is broken. But um, my name is Peter Davidson, one of the pastors here at Lakeview Christian Center, and it's my delight to be here again this morning, having shared last night about the power of the Holy Spirit in bringing us, birthing us, causing us to be born again into God's family. Discussed that last night. This morning, we continue with the presentation or the study of the work of the Holy Spirit. In continuing, now, I need to let you know this. I've changed the notes a little bit. Sorry, I did not say that right. I'm going to have to blame it on God. He changed the format a little bit today. And so it will not follow some of the format of your notes. But what I'm hoping happens today is not so much you taking notes, more gaining an appreciation of something that we'll talk about this morning. So don't worry about taking notes as much or following where he is and what he's doing, what page he's on, as much as sitting and listening and gaining an appreciation for what the Lord wants to say. The work of God in our lives is not a set of series of things, but is one work which can be understood or discussed as series of things because that's how we think. And so it's not a work of God to now birth us and now it's a work of God to sanctify us and now it's a work. That is not a clear way of seeing God's work. God's work is one comprehensive work, one work of continuity in our lives. And so as we discuss it, we look at it in pieces and in segments, correct? But you don't look at the life of your child in pieces and segments. You consider the life of your child as a comprehensive unit, and you can certainly discuss certain areas or times of his life, but it is within a frame of this is a comprehensive understanding of my child's life rather than, all right, this happened and then that, and breaking his life down into pieces and bits. You can do that for discussion's sake. But we don't want to miss, by doing that, the comprehensiveness of God's work. So last night we talked about being born into the kingdom of God, being born again. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 3, verses 3 and verse 7. He emphasized the absolute necessity. You must be born again. And remember how we put it last night. You're in the classroom, and you're bored as anything about 
the Egyptian Empire in 1250 BC. Who cares? Who cares? Until Jude, you you hear, man, that's a lot of food you have in your mouth right now, son. These young people never stop eating. Have you noticed that? Anybody notice that? But Jude, you hear those words that we talked about last night. What? This is on the final exam. Now, what's wrong with, what's the power there? The final exam is that which assures you or disassures you of graduation. If you fail the final exam, you don't graduate. And so being born again is God's final exam. If you would have continuing into his kingdom having begun here, continuing forever. So it is the central issue of our lives. But being born again is just not an activity of being birthed. But it is also obviously the continuing activity of living. How many mamas in here when your child was born? Thank goodness the child is born. I'm finished with this. I can go on about my life. Or when your child was born, that having been born is a continual activity of ministry into that child's life and walking and nurturing and changing diapers and making sure you eat your breakfast and did you do your homework and when your child graduates from college, how are you doing? And your child is 55 years old and you're in your 70s or 80s and he's still your child. How many of you stop being parents? And so being born again is that continuing activity that we'll talk about this morning in being empowered by God, okay? Just want to make sure we see all that. Now, do we have the picture up here? Several years ago, in 1958, how many of you were not alive in 58? Good night. Several years ago in 1958, I was living with my aunt and uncle. My mother had left us. That's a story for another day. And now that my aunt and uncle have three children, they need a larger car. So they go out to Bone Motor Company, Motor, Bone Ford Company. Remember that, where that was? On Broad, remember that? Everybody? By the what? Pumping station, yeah, Broad. Remember that, Bone Ford. And they bought this incredible car. Now, today it looks like an incredible car. Man, if I'd love to own that. But you remember in 58, it's a station wagon. Nothing flashy about this. It's a station. It's a utilitarian vehicle, as they say, to move people from one place to another because we have several children. They owned a car that they didn't need to have. have that. They didn't have to have this kind of a car when they lived just the two of them because just two of them. But now they have three children. So we had this 58 Ford station wagon. Now look at it. Look at the sleek lines. Look at the way this is designed to catch your breath, to to make you, in 58, remember, to make when you see this, to make you drool. 
and just wish you had this car. Or when you look at it from the 58 perspective, this is just an ordinary Ford. Just an ordinary car. Ain't nothing extraordinary about this, is there? Do you see anything extraordinary about that picture? Now, the one we had was almost this color, and it had black lines on it and so on. Eh, just an ordinary car. I mean, it's not something that you would have really desired to have, right? If you really want something, you go out and buy another car. If you want to show somebody who you are and what the car can do, you go out and buy another kind of car. You buy one of those muscle cars. Everybody know what a muscle car is? Some of you are old enough to remember that. Those cars that had 80, 89 or 90% of the car was engine. <laughs> and a little bit of the car. And when you stepped on your gas, <laughs> and it was gone. Remember that? Those kinds of cars. This is not that. It's an ordinary car. And so I remember when I first began to drive it, they actually let me drive a little bit in those days. There was something different about this car. The difference you cannot perceive by looking at the picture. The car was just about like that. Just a little bit of different paint. That's the car, let's say. Now, what is different about that car that we own by looking at it? Can you tell anything different? Or is that just like every other car on the road, basically, right? Can anyone distinguish something extraordinary about that car just by looking at the picture? Can anyone? No, this is 1958. This is standard. This is 58, remember. This is the way they were built. So you're in 58. You see this car. Do you see when you're going down the street, look at that extraordinary automobile? No. It's just another car. It's just longer than a sedan. That's all it is. They took the sedan and pushed out the back end of it and enclosed it and put a few more windows in it. And there it is. But there was something extraordinary about this car now listen to my words. There was something extraordinary about this car inside the car. You see, when the world looks at those who have been born again by the power of the Spirit of God, on the outside, we look ordinary. Dan, stand up. Now look at this. Does this look like something extraordinary? You may sit down. Sam, stand up. Take off the hat. That accentuates it. Does this look like something extraordinary? Thank you, Sam. Ronald Latano, stand up. This is one of our newest pastors on staff. Ronald. All right, brother. Does this look extraordinary? Sit down. Now, I'm going to do this the only right way. Look at me. Don't I look extraordinary? Yeah, for my age, I'm still breathing, I know. <laughs> Don't I look extraordinary? And I'm not sitting down. I'm continuing to stand up. Look around. When you get up in the morning, you may have to do what I do. I have to sneak up on my mirror. <laughs> now, think about this. You're the mirror. You're just fine. 
And then suddenly the light goes on. The first thing you see at 6 in the morning is this. <laughs> this is something to get cracked up about. Cracked up about. Mirror broken. The mirror is a bad reflection on me. You know what I mean? A bad reflection on me. There's nothing extraordinary in this 73-year-old man. Nothing. Look at me. I'm not taller than everybody. The only thing extraordinary is my breath will hurt you. My wife says, please take mints. I have old people's breath. Our breath stinks. (laughs) Old people's breath stink. Some of you didn't know that. All the old people. (laughs) Ross, we're just like that. If the Lord should return, not return early, and you continue to live, you're going to have old breathitis too. I tell the folks in the church, don't walk too closely behind me when I'm going up the stairs. Old cars backfire. Come on, you can say amen, sister. Amen. I mean, this is just truth. Am I saying something that's, oh, I didn't know that. Steve, this is news to you? It shouldn't be. (laughs) This is just truth. What am I doing? I'm showing us how ordinary we are. Just ordinary. Outwardly looking at us, the physical us. Somebody has a cell phone on. Someone's in trouble. We're just ordinary people. Miguel, you're ordinary behind that screen back there trying to translate for us. But we're those in whom, like that Ford, something extraordinary has been placed. So I get in the car and I go down the street and I very quickly discover something unusual here. You see, because typically in those days when you put your foot on the gas, you move down the street. And if you really push your foot on the gas, you can move quickly down the street. But this car... When we turn on the engine and put it in drive, yes, it, it was an automatic. Can you imagine that? And you put your foot on the gas the typical way. You are moving. Wow, look at this. This thing, where did all this power come from? Good night. This is unusual. You see, because what my aunt did not know, when she went to Bone Ford to buy this Ordinary vehicle, this 1958 Ford station wagon. She didn't know that the police department had contracted to purchase a certain number of 58 Ford station wagons with the big interceptor engine in it. And that they had five left that they hadn't sold. So they're selling her a car, unbeknownst to her and to any one of us. She's buying a car that Ford had, in which Ford had placed 
their big powerful engine for the purpose of going faster than anybody else in order to catch the crooks. It was a special engine built for that purpose. And I think today they still do that. I'm not sure. And trust me, when you put your foot on the gas of this car, or the pedal of this car, this thing moved. That's why I got away with some. No. And so, fine. So one night, I'm coming home from something. I don't know. It's about 9.30 or so at night, whatever it was. And I'm stopped at the light of North Galvez and Canal. Everybody knows where that is? You've been over there, huh, brother? North Galvez and Canal. You, you know where that is. I'm stopped at the light. I'm minding my own business. Now look at me. Do I look like I'm a race car enthusiast? Mr. Geek. Just minding my own business, which always I do. Never interfering with anyone's life or expressing my opinions. Never doing anything like that. And I'm sitting there, minding my own business. And up drives this young fellow. Of course, I'm a young fellow too. He's a little older than I am actually at the time. He's probably 20. How old am I in 58? About 15 or 16, somewhere around there. Whatever it is. I'm not, I, wasn't, I, did, I wasn't a math major. I was an English major. And I'm sitting there. Rodney, I'm being good, brother. Really, I am. I like the hat today. This is the hat man. Every time you see him, he'll have a different hat on. And so this fellow drives up. But he has one of these muscle cars. He's doing this. And I, and I, you backfire from the front, don't you? I like that. That's one way to get my attention. And he drives up and boom, boom, and I, I look at him. You know, I, I don't know. He looks at me. Like, come on, let's do it. Now, I'm young, but I'm still what they call a, a male. Now, the typical guy you don't challenge. Really? You know what I mean? You have sons, and if you have sons, you have husbands, you know what that means. That macho comes out. But you see, this time I knew I had something to macho with. I look at him and he looks at me. And I don't smile him. I just kind of, you know, look at him. He's ready to roll. <laughs> 9.30 at night, North Galvez and Canal. We're on Canal. So, boom. So the light turns green. I steps on the grass. <laughs> now, if today... You go back to North Galvez on Canal. There's still a fella sitting there in an old muscle car with a look on his face. Where did he go? What happened? I beat him bad. I beat him bad. 
he's still there with that kind of, what was that all about? I'm just wondering whether he's ever pulled up next to another Ford station wagon and did the same thing. Or if he pulled up, was he sweating because he's going to lose it twice? What is this all about this morning? What am I talking about? You see, last night, we talked about God's extraordinary love. What kind of love is this that would take the fury of the wrath of God's punishment that each one of us deserved because of our rebellion and rejection of this God and place all of the fury of God's wrath of punishment upon his own beloved son. So that in Jesus' death, God could and does forgive his people forever of all their sin. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? This is an unearthly love. It's a love that even the word extraordinary doesn't even begin to describe, but it's just a word that we have that at least begins to help us. And some of you last night for the first time have begun to experience the reality and the effect of this most extraordinary love that is somewhat depicted for us in Luke 15, where when the sun goes a-whoring, that's what it is, after the things of the world, and the Father waits and watches, and if you would, is calling his Son back with his love. He's not just waiting on the hill with his hands on his hips. There is that invisible, if you would, chain that the Son is not aware of that proceeds from the Father's heart and is connected with this wayward boy and remains connected with this wayward boy as that boy walks through the pig poop of life so that at the right time, when the Father has allowed the Son to be broken of all of his rebellion, the Father begins to pull the rope and the Son comes to his senses. Remember verse 17, and he came to his senses. And he said, I will arise and go back to my Father. And the Father, unbeknownst to the Son, the Son believes He's made a decision. Well, he has, but he's made a decision because his heart is being pulled back. Remember? Being wooed unto God. It's God's decision to woo the son, to bring him back. The son is just cooperating with that. And as the boy approaches the father standing on the hill, I think every day, maybe I'm wrong, 
But I know if that were my grandson, I'd be out on that hill every single day. Every day. Waiting for my grandson to come home. And he sees the figure of someone coming. He doesn't have glasses on. He's looking. I don't know whether that's my son or not. Look at the filth. The stench filled with pig poop. Oh, it's my son. Because he recognizes the way his son walks. You see, he knows his son. My son. And this is what God does. He pulls us toward himself. And as we approach him, he runs down the hill. Throws himself on the son's neck and kisses the son. Puts on him a robe which covers over all the sin and the degradation. The father's own robe. Puts on the son the signet ring of the father's authority. And puts on the filthy feet. The shoes of the father. And takes him back home and there's a feast. Because what? This my son who was dead. We were dead in sins and trespasses before we were born again. But being born again, this my son who was dead is now alive. And he's been transferred from the pig house to the big house. What kind of love is this? But at the cost of God's own son. You see, God has done this. For an ulterior purpose. Because you see, God's purpose is to have a people, a family. If you would allow me to say God is a family man, if that's okay. A family with whom and in whom he will fellowship and share the love of God, the love that the Father has for the Son and the Son's love for the Father and share that love and fellowship and relational activity with his children forever. And so we were born again in order to begin to be partakers of the divine nature. Being born again was God's means of bringing us into fellowship. It's not the end in of itself. It is the beginning that takes us all the way through. So now we're God's children. Remember last night we talked about being born again. Why? Because God has loved us into his kingdom to send his son to die for us. But now that we have experienced God's grace, how? By trusting and receiving Christ. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace, God's work of birthing us, for by grace, being born again, for by grace, being born again, we have been saved through faith. For by grace, God saves us at the cross. The death of Christ 
is the reason for our salvation. And God then gives us the gift or the ability and the desire to say yes to that, to claim it for ourselves. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And so I did not express faith in order to be born again. I was being born again by the Spirit and being given the gift of faith. Faith does not produce being born again. Being born again produces or is part of the whole package, if you would, of being given faith. It is not I who was looking for Jesus. It was Jesus who was coming searching for me. Remember, it is the Father's love that is drawing the Son. The son did not return hoping the father would receive him. The son returned because the father had always loved and would receive the son. And the son responded by faith to say, yes. Do we get that? We must get that. Because if we don't get that clearly in the beginning, we are not saved because we exercised faith. We are saved because God saved us at the cross and then with the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit rather, then applied the power of God's forgiveness to our hearts, changing our disposition to say no into a disposition to say yes. I'll give you this verse as an, uh, the proof and you can read it later. Ezekiel 36 verses 25 through 27. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27. And you look at who does what to whom. And where are we in the equation? And how much does it say is our part? We are being moved upon. We are being moved upon. And as we are being moved upon by the Spirit of God, we respond. And even the response to say yes is God's gift. It is not of your own Paul says faith. But it is the gift of God. The same gift of God to express faith in Christ to receive eternal life is the same gift of God's faith. The same faith that now causes us to begin to walk in faith or walk out this salvation. It's not a different faith. It is the same faith. Sometimes we think now that we're saved... Now that we have been born again, we have to begin to prove something. We have to begin to maintain this salvation. We have to begin to do this, that, and the other in order to be kept in the kingdom. Friends in Christ, you are born into the kingdom by the power of God. You are kept in the kingdom by the power of God. And you will be kept unto eternal life by the power of God through the faith that he has given us to receive and to walk in that power. Very important to get that. Because you see, I'm driving a 58 Ford station wagon that has an interceptor engine in it. Now, I have an interceptor engine in my car. And you look outside, you're my neighbor. And I get up in the morning, I'm going somewhere. And you know that I have a big engine in the car. Some way you know that. So you see me get to the car, and I do the most ridiculous thing. I get behind the car and start pushing it. And you say, Peter, where are you, what are you doing? I'm going to work. Uh, Peter, 
Why are you pushing the car? Well, I'm going to work. And I've got to push this car. Or maybe open the door and one leg inside. You know, kind of. And I'm going to make, I've got to get to work. And this vehicle is the means of getting to work. And I'm going to push. And I'm going to push. And I'm going to push. And I'm going to wear myself out by pushing. And it won't work. I ain't never getting to work. Now that you're born again, some of you for the brand new and some of us for many years, we begin to find out, wait a minute. This car has to move. I'm in the car now, right? I'm in Christ. I'm in the kingdom. Now that you're in the kingdom, brother, you better start pushing and shoving and you better make sure you do this, that, right, and so on. No. Why, Sam? It won't work. Maddie, what? It won't work. The result will be you'll wear yourself out. You'll never get anywhere. And you'll never have the peace and the joy and the excitement. And God who placed you in the car will never be glorified because who glorifies someone giving them a car and ain't got an engine in it? Amen? What kind of glory is that? That's kind of a cruel parent, isn't it? Man, you gave him a car and he thought he was going to be something, go somewhere, and now all he knows is he's got to work hard to try to push that car around. So we come into the kingdom of God. And we've grown up all our lives being taught, you better, you better, you better, you better, you better, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, right? And we take that theology, Charles, into the kingdom. Bernadette, into the kingdom, you gotta, you gotta, you better. Now you know I'm New Orleans. You better. And God says, you're a new creature. My kingdom does not function along the same lines and according to the same laws as the world. See, I didn't have the power to buy the car. But I submitted to it by getting in it and using it, right? I didn't have the power to be born again. How many of you had the power to be born physically? How many of you had anything to do with being born physically? Jesus uses the analogy specifically for that to show that the spiritual birth, you had about as much physical involvement in that as you did in your uh, physical birth and in your spiritual birth, right? You didn't. The only thing is in this one, we're the, being, we're, we're the child being conceived spiritually to which we're saying yes. So now that you're born, your little baby's born, you, you, you bring your baby home to bassinet. Remember, we used to have bassinets. I don't know what they do today. So we brought my daughter home, you know, a little bassinet in April of 71. And we brought her in there, put her on the kitchen table and says, Now, start feeding yourself, kid. You're my child. I love you, but you start feeding yourself. You make sure you take a bath, brush your teeth, and eat a good meal. Is that what happened? No, the child comes into the family and begins to receive the loving, powerful work of the parents in order to mature and become a wonderful 
child of the parent. Listen to this verse, and you can write the reference down. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. While we are on earth, God wants and will do a thing in us. While we are on earth, God has birthed us into the kingdom to live a certain way for a certain revelation. So here's a way of putting that revelation. 1 John 2, 3 through 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him. In other words, how do we know we've been born again? How do you know you've been born again? Well, I I went up and forward and I prayed and I experienced something. Yes, that's the beginning. But how do you know on a continuing regular basis, day by day, you that experience was genuine? How do you know it was genuine? If we keep his commandments. Uh-oh, there's the work. Ah, you see, I knew there was a hook into someone. If you start pushing the car around. Right, Nettie? If you start shoving the car. That's not what that means. It is to do with driving and riding along in the car, but not by your own power. Whoever says, I know Jesus, but who does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Don't you love the way these apostles were right to the point? You're a liar. Today we're afraid to use that kind of terminology. But whoever keeps God's word in that person, truly the love of God has been perfected or is being matured. By this we may be sure that we are in Christ. Remember, in the car. In the car. In the kingdom. Whoever says he abides in Christ, whoever says he's in the car, ought to walk in the same way in which Christ himself walked. So God's purpose of birthing us into the kingdom, remember what I said earlier, is to bring us into the communion that God experiences within himself. That communion of love and peace and joy among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are being brought into that fellowshipping communion, that fellowshipping divine family, if you would, to experience the peace, the love, the joy, the satisfaction, the blessings that God is within himself. He is now sharing with us who are now partakers of that very communion. But until we get to the end in heaven, on earth, he wants us to be demonstrating in a living and lively way what that communion in God is to look like through his people so that the community of the church is to be reflective or imaging the community of God in the heavens. That's what this is all about. This is why living Godly, walking as Jesus walked, obeying the commandments is so centrally significant and is the outworking of God's purpose. How in the world can we do that? How did Jesus walk? We're to walk as Jesus walked. You see 1 John 2, 6, that verse? We're to walk as Jesus walked, Brian. How can you walk as Jesus walked? You can't. If you try it on your own, it's like pushing the car. 
You can't do it. Well, how did Jesus do it? He lived a life of absolute sinless obedience, Hebrews 4.15. How can you do that? You can't. You can't do it. May I disavow you of something very quickly. Stop trying to do it. Years ago, I remember doing something wrong. I mean, I've done a lot wrong, but I remember this particular incident. And I began to moan and groan. Oh, God, I'm trying, I'm trying. And as if the heaven opened and said, stop trying and start trusting and yielding. <gasps> Uh-oh. See, I don't try to obey God anymore. I never try to obey God anymore. I'm not going to ever try. I never, ever try. I'm not ever going to try again. I either will obey God or I will not. The moment you try, you will fail. So the understanding is, I will obey God by the Spirit. Not, I'm going to try. The moment you use the word try, you will fail. Guaranteed it. Isn't that interesting? You go to church and the preacher tells you, don't try to live godly. Is that a message you thought you'd hear anywhere in church? Everybody will say, try to live godly, try to live. Stop it! Live godly. But by the way he has designed. I'm going to try to push the car. I'm going to try to push the car. You ain't getting nowhere. But if you do it right and get in the car and use the engine, you will succeed. Do you see the distinction? Is everybody with me on the distinction? Hopefully you're getting free today to stop this foolishness of trying. Stop Pushing the car on your own. It won't work. Jesus lived obediently, perfectly. How did he do it? How did he live and minister perfectly? How did he do it? He did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus went out to be baptized. You see that in chapter 3 of Luke, chapter 3 of Matthew, both of them. Jesus comes to be baptized at the Jordan. And as he is being baptized, the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus in bodily form as a dove. You remember that? That is God's attestation that this is my beloved Son. And today I am anointing him with my power by the Spirit to walk in a way that pleases me and accomplishes every single bit of my purpose without any sin whatsoever. That power of God, that anointing of God, that attestation of God is now residential upon the Lord Jesus as he baptized in the Jordan. And as he comes up out of the water. So he begins how? By the power of the Spirit. Now, if Jesus needed, may I say it again? If Jesus needed the power of the Spirit. Will you, well, wait, how can we say Jesus needed? He was the Son of God. But he came as a man. He took on a human body and soul and mind. And this man had to live the same way we are to live, by the power and being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't come to try to push God's car up the hill. 
Jesus came to demonstrate that God has given us all power in order to drive his car to wherever it is he wants us to go. He had to live empowered by the Spirit. After being anointed by the Spirit, you remember what happened? You may have seen the movie. Jesus is in the Jordan, he's baptized, and immediately he comes up out of the water, he's empowered, and then the Spirit leads him where? Into the wilderness. Immediately, Jesus begins to face the opposition of the enemy. Oh, yeah? So you went to church and you said you were born again and something happened. Oh, yeah? Well, what about this and what about that? And remember you did that and remember you did the other thing. And look at what's happening now. Opposition from the enemy. Jesus goes into the wilderness and begins to face and overcome all the opposition and temptations of the enemy that we encounter in life. There's nothing that any of us have, are, and ever will encounter as to the enemy's opposition and work or temptation in any sort of way that Jesus himself has not already encountered and has overcome absolutely, completely, and perfectly, and forever by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't you say amen? Anything you and I are going through, experience, any temptation. Jesus was tempted in the area first, yet without sin. He was tempted to sin regularly, but without sin. Why? That's because he's Jesus. No. Yes and no. Yes, because he was empowered by the Spirit. After winning the battle in the wilderness, what happens in verse 14? Jesus returned from the wilderness. How? In the power of the Spirit. And he initiates his ministry. And for the next couple of three years or so, he ministers and he teaches in the power of the Spirit. And in fact, he goes to the cross and he dies for our sin, being led by and empowered by the Spirit of God. There's not one word that Jesus spoke except by the power of the Spirit. There's not one step that Jesus stepped except by the power of the Spirit. There's not one miracle that Jesus exercised authority except by the power of the Spirit. And we are here today as the benefactors of this man who was empowered and lived empowered perfectly all his days. We are here today as children of God because of his being empowered by the Spirit. I have this list in your notes somewhere. Jesus resisted the devil. How? Let's say it together. By the power of the Spirit. Jesus served God by the power of the Spirit. Jesus ministered to people's needs by the power of the Spirit. He cast out demons by the power of the Spirit. He fed thousands by the power of the Spirit. He raised the dead. And he has saved us by the power of the Spirit. How can we walk? 
same way. This is the reason you see in Acts chapter 1, Jesus gathers his disciples before he ascends into heaven. And he says, look guys, I have saved all of y'all and commissioned you to be disciples, now apostles, to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach it by your words and your deeds so that my people may be saved, so that the Holy Spirit will use you and the power of the message of the gospel and begin to win my people back into my kingdom. So here we have these men and these women being ready to go out and minister. But he said, wait, 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 whoa, 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 wait, 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 whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You need to be empowered first. So hang around for a few days. Get together. And they got together in the upper room. How many? 120 of them. And they sat around praying and fasting and waiting for God. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. So that when people look at old ordinary Sue Heffernan, Nothing extraordinary about that woman. Not even that she's a grandma. That's not even extraordinary. When they look at this ordinary female, they will experience the extraordinary presence and work and effect of the Lord Jesus as she is empowered by the Spirit. So they can say, oh, what kind of a woman is that? Like that fellow who's still there on North Galvez and Canal. What kind of a car was that? So that they may see the extraordinary person and work of the Son of God in us. How? By being empowered by the Spirit. So Jesus says, wait, because you need to be empowered. And in the same way that they needed to be empowered, we also need to be empowered. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He gives this testimony. And then in verse 7 he says, you know, in, in order to keep me from being too puffed up because of all the revelation that I had received. Remember, Paul writes half the New Testament, essentially. He says, I was given a thorn in the flesh to keep me humble. What's the background? Fourteen years before this letter was written, he says about 14 years ago, that's what he says, he was probably living in Tarsus, out in Arabia somewhere. He wasn't ministering. He was being prepared by God for the purpose of ministry. And Paul, by the Spirit, was taken up into heaven, the third heaven. And Paul was given the greatest Sunday school class that ever happened to any man. You always want to put it in the reference of school of the word of Sunday school. One of the most important hours in the life of a believer every week, really. Significant, significant, significant. And Paul received the revelation of the church. And the Lord says, now Paul, I want you to go back. Remember, Paul's a zealot killing Christians. Remember who he is. Go back and tell everybody. So Paul gets back here. He is ready to go. I've been running against Christ and whatever. Now I'm ready to go for him. So get ready, set, and he goes, ooh, ho, 
Mm. Oh, wait a minute. Oh, 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 got to get back over here. Man, what is this pain in my back? Lord, get this thing out of me. How many of you have ever asked God to get rid of those things that you think are in the way of you living godly? Am I the only one? Think of those things that get in your way, that temptation, that attitude, that feeling, that person. Get it out of my life because if you get it out of my life, think of what I can do for you, Lord. You see, do for you. Because I can push that car up the road if you give me a better pair of shoes. I, got, I have to have better traction, don't you see? Okay, let's try it again. Get ready. Go. Mm. Uh, got to ask God again. I don't think you heard me the first time. Whew. Don't you know we had to ask God two or three times because God's hard of hearing, real hard. And this happens three different times. And what does verse 7 say? Three times I entreated the Lord. Get this thing out of me. Remember? Are you with me on the same verse? And what does verse 8 say? The Lord essentially says this. Nope. (laughs) Nope. What do you mean nope? He says, now listen. Listen to me. You've been trying to push the car up the hill under your own power. And it won't work. You're not built for that. And in verse 8 he says, My power is matured or made perfect in the midst of your weakness. You have a power in you, the Holy Spirit. Paul realized, oh my word, and in verse 9, Now that I know that, oh, I will now rejoice and give thanks for the power of God in me. Verse 10, so when I am weak, then Am I strong, understanding in his power? How could the Apostle Paul do what he did? If you want to know something about what it cost him, read first, Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 28. Look at what it cost him. But look at the result in this room, the preaching of the gospel by this one man, but under the power of the Holy Spirit. We are here today principally because God used an apostle Paul in his own power. God had given him the interceptor engine, and Paul had to learn to tap into God's power and use God's power and cooperate with God's power and to identify God's power and to acknowledge God's power. And then, when Paul stepped on the gas of the gospel in that car, the gospel went into all the world. wasn't because Paul was extraordinary. He wasn't. This is not a racial comment I'm going to make. He was a sawed-off little Jew. He was. Short, bent over because of all the beatings. Bad eyesight, read the end of Galatians, did not speak well, read 2 Corinthians. He probably wasn't the, the best public, public speaker, you know. It's like, oh my goodness, how am I going to get through this guy? And so he didn't come with any outward power. He wasn't Mr. Olympian coming in, don't I do that well? And great oratorical abilities. He was a sawed-off little guy who couldn't speak well, who had bad eyesight, probably bad breath. But the power of God, the power of God. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. 
For we have this, what? Treasure, Christ himself, in earthen vessels, just old, broken down, ordinary, goofball vessels. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. If God has touched you, and I know he has this weekend, it is not because during Alpha Frank Loria, and it is not because of Peter Davidson. It is not because of us. We are simply two goofball, ordinary old men in whom God's extraordinary power by the Spirit is moving. If you have and have experienced anything at all, you have experienced not me, but God. I need to move along, don't I, Frank? Frank's wedding back there. So here it is. We need this power. We need this power. How to get it? We need to acknowledge first that we need it. I don't think there's anyone in here, if you've been listening at all with your heart, that you can say, I don't need an interceptor engine in me. I'm quite content to try to push this car up the hill on my own. And you can leave here doing that. But if you have any sense at all, if you think you're going anywhere, and if you think you're going to glorify the parents who bought you the car to show how wonderful and loving they are, you need to make sure you get that engine going. So what do we do? Acknowledge our need. Secondly, ask God. And I do this regularly. I do it almost every single day. Father, today I need to be empowered and anointed by your Spirit. I dare not stand before any group. I dare not counsel any one person apart or live in any way apart from the powering anointing of God. I dare, I'm afraid to. I'm afraid to. Why? Because I know I will mess everything up. But God will do it all well. Today, do you believe that when you ask God to empower you, he will do that? He will do it. He says, if you will ask, I will give. We all who are born again have the Spirit. These men whom God, Jesus said, wait, had already received the Spirit before this time. You read John chapter 21. Receive the Holy Spirit. But they need now not to receive the Holy Spirit, but to be empowered by the Spirit. I have received the car. I am in the car. Now I have to submit to the power of the car, don't you see? I'm not being asked to get in the car. I am in the car. I need to submit to the power. So today, we're going to pray. And we're going to ask God begin to fill us with the power of his spirit. Power to overcome temptation. Power to live holy lives and loving lives. Power to care for one another. Power to minister in Jesus' name. Essentially, all of it together, power to be witnesses of Jesus. So when people see us as an ordinary looking person, they encounter the power of the living God in us. 
who are not driven by fear and anxiety and frustration and unforgiveness and jealousy and gossip, but who have been cleansed and purified and empowered by God to be used as his vessels to demonstrate his greatness and to demonstrate the reality of his extraordinary son in us. Is this what you want? If you don't want it, I think you need to look at yourself and see if you're born again. Because to be born again is to have God's spirit. And to have God's spirit is to want this because this is the wanting of God in us. So we're going to pray and ask God to begin to move. What could happen? First of all, make sure you hear me. No matter what you do or do not experience today, if you do not experience anything, do not say, the devil would want you to say this, nothing happened. Scotty, it is impossible to ask God for what he has promised without something happening. He may manifest something tomorrow or the next day, but something is happening. You may leave here as you came in, didn't feel a thing, didn't feel a thing, and go home and all of a sudden find that your attitude toward a certain person has all of a sudden changed. And like, oh, that's the power of God. Oh. Your fear in some area began to change. Oh, God's power is at work. Why? Because I asked. Begin to see that I'm forgiving someone that I've had a problem with all my life. God's power is at work. You may experience a rush of excitement. You may, as they did in the Acts chapter 2, speak with other tongues. You may prophesy. You may stand up and Start dancing around. Quite frankly, we don't put any inhibitions on anybody. We don't put restraints on you. This is the place where God is to be honored. And as God moves, you agree. Okay? Don't be afraid of anything that God is doing. But by faith, you were born into the kingdom. With that same faithing trust... When we ask God to empower us, believe, believe, God will begin to empower. Amen? In any and in, in every particular area as he desires. So the men with the hats on, if you would, let's take the hats off and pray. If that's all right. If not, then don't. And let's go to God and pray. Let's ask God for his ministering work. Let's ask God to be empowered. Father, we just ask God, ask you, Father, to minister to us. Father, would you move by your spirit? Father, would you begin to empower us? Father, move us to pray, to ask to receive. Father, as each one calls out to you individually, expressing our great need of the empowering presence of your Spirit. Father, you put us all in this station wagon. Father, we don't want to live anymore trying to push it up the hill on our own. 
Father, we want to live by the power of your Spirit. Father, begin to turn on this engine in us. Father, begin to move us along by your power this morning. Father, whether the person has just been born again last night, today, or has been saved 30, 40, 50 years, Father, we need your empowering presence. We need the ministry of the Spirit that Jesus received and each of the prophets received and Abraham received and Paul and John and Peter and all of these men and women throughout the Word of God received the power to be extraordinary witnesses that you were the glory, God of glory. Father, empower us today. Just begin to pray where you are, asking God to do that and to believe.